Hello and welcome to the Anchor Bible Study Podcast, a ministry of Rock Harbor Church. We want to help guide and grow you in your walk with the Lord by providing an in-depth study of God's Word with our Wednesday evening Bible studies here in this podcast. So please grab your Bibles and let's set a course for spiritual maturity. Here's Pastor Brandon with this week's lesson. Uh, we looked at Ezekiel about uh, certain things. You have to bring in Ezekiel and you have to bring in Isaiah and you, to get a complete picture of the fall of Satan. And we're learning about the enemy and what he does to us, obviously, and trying to learn his tactics. So we've learned about how he, he trafficked among the angels to get them to rebel. We, we applied that, and that's, that's evidence. And when you see people doing division, causing division unnecessarily, then that's a satanic trait. There is a time where there is division. And, and you have to be able to discern when there's a time for division and when there's not a time for division. So when there is a biblical time for division, it means that the person is unequally yoked to something or someone that's on a different page. And in that context of, of 1 Corinthians, uh, when he's talking about equally yoked and unequally yoked, uh, most people interpret that as, as he's referring to marriage. He's not. He's referring to those who are worshiping together in a corporate enterprise, that, um, that you, you do things together spiritually with those who are on the same page. You do not fellowship with, with light and darkness. You do not fellowship with Belial and Satan is his point. And so when you get yourself in a situation that uh, you're in an unequally yoked situation, your job is to first see if the person will change. And if the person doesn't change, then you are to leave that situation. And so that's what a lot of people ask me all over the internet because of their, their, they're all parts of uh, the country and around the world, and they're all saying the same thing. My churches went crazy. My pastor's now crazy. He's woke, and they're doing all kinds of stuff. What do I do? Well, you first approach leadership, and you tell them, I see that you have now become woke. Are you, are you going to stop being woke, or is this kind of the, the, the trail that you guys are going to blaze in wokeness? And if you can't get, the idea is you can't get the leadership to change, then you're now obligated to leave because now you're unequally yoked with that church. You're unequally, they're, they're on a different path and you're on this other path. So that's when a time, the time that you leave, okay? That is a good division, okay? You want that division, especially if a church goes apostate or a pastor goes apostate or a denomination goes apostate. You have to be able to leave that. So that's when it's good to leave. Bad division is over typically a lie. Okay? And someone's perpetrating a lie to make themselves look good. Okay? So Satan, if you go back to what Satan was doing, he perpetrated a lie that he is, he can become God that he's better than God, and he wants God's position, as we're going to study the five I wills, and so he trafficked on a lie. He spread his lie about him and about God and said that he's better, come follow me, and then he got a third of the angels. So 
That's when you know there's bad division. There will always be lies attached. Good division has to do with being unequally yoked. Okay? So that's an application I wanted to make and, and, and not leave that out there hanging. Okay, so now we're in the five I wills. The five I wills in Isaiah are dealing with what Satan told himself and told the other angels, specifically what he wanted to accomplish. We looked at last week, number one, I believe, right? I will ascend into heaven. The idea is that he want, wanted God's throne. Remember, he was the covering cherub above God's throne, and he left that position because he wants the throne. That throne is the symbol of God's power, and, and, and everything is, it, that's around that is centered on God, obviously, being infinite. Well, Satan, we talked about his thinking spiritually, that he spiritually evolved and that God spiritually evolved. Satan thinks he can be spiritually evolved to God's level, and therefore he wants his throne. He wants that power. Okay, so that's number one. The funny thing about that is eventually you and I are, are, are given Messiah's throne um, in the book of Revelation. It's, it's said that, he it says, as uh, I sat on my father's throne, you will sit on my throne. And that's why you go into the book of Revelation. There's the 24 elders. The 24 elders represent the church, and the 24 elders are on thrones. So the church gets thrones. And so at that point, like I said, it's kind of an ironic judgment. What he wanted, he doesn't get, and then we get to sit on thrones in heaven. So it's a kind of an a, a ironic judgment to him with using the church. Okay, second, I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. Now, the stars in this passage, and most passages in the Bible, stars don't refer to the, the, the stars you see in the sky and the atmosphere. Stars is a synonymous word for angels or Elohims, spirit creatures. And, and like we said, there's three classes of Elohims. There's the cherubim, seraphim, and Malachim, okay? So those are the three levels of Elohims. Elohims in the sense that, that they are spirit creatures that were created by God. We call them angels, but that's a misnomer to call them angels. You, the, the, the precise words are Elohims in Hebrew, and there's three classes of Elohims, the cherubim, seraphim, and Malachims. The Malachim means messenger in Hebrew. Okay, so he wants a throne above all the stars of God, all the Elohims. He wants to be the highest Elohim. There's only one spirit being that's above all the Elohims, and that's Elohim himself, El Elyon. He is the most high God because he's the infinite creator, and he is a being, not a creature. But again, this is Satan's warped mind that he wants to be in God's position above all the uh, angels or what we call Elohim, to rule them, to rule over them, okay? Isn't it funny that he doesn't say that he wants to exalt his throne above the humans? Why doesn't it say that? He wants to be above the angels. Why, why, why doesn't he want to be above the humans? Stuart. That's right. He, he, these are, they're lower than lower. I, I don't even want to rule them. They, 
he wants to murder us, right? That's he, did, he wants to destroy us. So the funny thing is, in an ironic judgment, he, he can't stand us so much, and we're like nothing to him, obviously. But in the final judgment of him, he's going to be judged by a man, right? He will be judged by a man on judgment day. Who is that man? It's Christ Jesus, but Christ is the God-man, but he, but he will be judged by a man. Did you notice that? It's not just God. Messiah is the God-man. He has the humanity part of him, so a human will judge Satan. Isn't that amazing? It's how God reverses the whole thing. Um, so that's the second thing he wants, okay? This is what he was telling the other angels, okay, to come alongside with him. Let's go to the next one, number three. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. Now, what in the world does that mean? Well, the mount of the congregation is a reference with the Hebraic language of congregation. Only one congregation. It's Israel. And now he wants to sit on the mount of Israel. On the farthest sides of the north, the farthest sides of the north on the Mount of Israel is where Messiah was crucified. Can you figure out the geographical location that he wants? It's the Temple Mount. He wants the temple, but this is where he wants to rule too on earth. He wants to rule over Israel in the Messianic kingdom. That's what this is referring. The mount of the congregation is Mount Moriah. The farthest points of the north is where the temple would be, and, and then a little bit farther than that is where Messiah was crucified. This is where Adam and Eve was created. This is where Abraham brought Isaac. This is where everything happened. And he wants to rule there over Israel in his messianic kingdom. He is actually trying to right now currently counterfeit the messianic kingdom. How is he doing this? Well, the Messianic kingdom is a global kingdom, isn't it? Ruled by the Messiah. What is he doing now to counterfeit that? Creating a global government, right? In the Messianic kingdom, Messiah controls all the economy. What does he want to do right now? What is he doing with the economy? Centralizing the economy so that one person can rule the entire economy. In Messiah's kingdom, the Messianic kingdom, because Messiah is God, he's the God-man, he knows all. He knows what people think. God knows what we think. We, he knows what we pray before we even say it, right? Because he's God. He knows our hearts. He knows how we think. Therefore, he's in full control of all the situation because God knows all. But the problem is a creature doesn't know all, so how will a creature know all? What is he doing now to know all? AI, algorithms, right? I know it sounds crazy. He's counterfeiting the all-knowing aspects. He's counterfeiting the three omnis of God because he doesn't have them. So to be all-knowing, 
We're going to use computers and AI to be all-knowing, and we're going to use nanotechnology to know what's going on inside the person, to know what they're thinking and what they're feeling through nanotechnology. This is why the Fourth Industrial Revolution by Klaus Schwab and the World Economic Forum want to, as part of their program of bringing in global government, is a fusion between AI and humanity with nanotechnology. Why do you think it's, a, it's an, not an accident that Elon Musk wants to put computer chips in your head to download your brain? Why are they using nanotechnology that actually reports back to them what your body's actually doing, what it's feeling, what, it's, what you're thinking? Why is that? Because he's copycatting the omni. Only God knows what's going on in your body, right? Only God knows what's happening in your brain. Only God knows what you're thinking and feeling because God's omni, omniscient, right? Omniscient. And therefore, he's countercopying that. And so he, that's what he's doing, okay? What about all powerful? Messiah will sit on the throne in Jerusalem for a thousand years and be all powerful, right? He rules with a rod of iron. He's all powerful. What is Satan doing now to become all powerful over human beings, over Israel? What, what is he doing? How is he doing it? Fear and creating slaves. See, here's the thing. God is all powerful and yet he can give you your free will. That's how powerful he is. That he can still be in control of things and you still have your free will. That's beyond understanding, but he can do that. That's how powerful God is. Satan doesn't have omnipotence. Therefore, in order for him to have power, he has to make people enslaved. He has to put them under control in order to get power over them. Got it. It's all control and power. Yeah, that's it. You got it. And so with that, so what's happening now to a people in the world is an enslavement. And the way you enslave people is you have to take away their rights and then you enslave them to make them dependent on you. And that's how you get power and control. But that's how Satan is. That's his only tactic to be able to get control over people is threaten them with fear of death. And then I can enslave them. Okay. What is this idea of you cannot buy and sell in the book of Revelation? What is What fear tactic is in that? You can't buy or sell without his mark. Ah, you got it. And then if you go back to Hebrews chapter 2, of what God has done for us, he has actually disarmed Satan's ability to kill us. So therefore, the believer has no fear of death, not only because Satan can't take his life, but if we do die, then we're promised the resurrection. And so the sting of death has been removed from believers, which causes believers, hopefully, should not be afraid of giving up rights, or sorry, not be afraid of giving up their, their security for losing rights, freedom. You would rather, God would rather you live free 
and destitute rather than enslaved and full. Does that make sense? When you give up your God-given rights, you're given Satan the ability to control you and enslave you through fear. That's what's happening, right? People are afraid. Christians are afraid. Why are you afraid? Because, number one, you don't know the scriptures. That's why you're afraid. Hebrews says that, 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 that Satan has been disarmed from threatening us with death. He can't do it. And you should be able to stand on that. And so this is the power play, right? So the omnis of omnipotence, omniscience, and what's the other omni? Omnipresent. God's everywhere. But Satan's a creature. How can he be everywhere? Now you understand how technology plays a part of it. You understand that Satan cannot be everywhere. So what does he? What does Satan do in the old days, and still does today? Part of his plan, if he, since he can't be everywhere, what does he do? He goes to and fro, and then he has his legions all placed around the earth in districts, principalities, powers, and they're all spread out, and they all report back to him what's going on in that area, what's going on in that district. Now, now that's an old-fashioned way of doing things, because now all of a sudden, humans have created technology. Notice that angels don't create anything. Satan doesn't have the ability to create anything. If not, if he did, he would have created something. But he has never created anything. He had to wait on humans to be able to create things because that's a gift that God gave human beings is the ability to fashion things off of things that are already made. That being the case, he had to wait for human beings to get the technology that can connect everybody on the entire planet. So yes, he's still using his legions around the, around the world, but now he's using technology in order to be omnipresent. So as you can see, He's counterfeiting the omnis right now as we, we talk. Okay, so let's go back to this. The big deal he wants to do then is to have the three, try to counterfeit the omnis, but then sit where Messiah will sit in the future, which is right there on Mount Moriah. The throne of Messiah will be on Mount Moriah, and but he wants to sit there. Hence, does that answer the question of why the Temple Mount is so fought after by the Muslims? You see what's happening? Satan wants that Temple Mount. He wants to put his guy on there. And so there's always been a fight over this area. And it's still there today, right? And so hence the back and forth tug of war with Israel not having it, then they have it for some time, and then now for the last decade, few decades or whatever, uh, um, well, it, before that, uh, hundreds of years, the Temple Mount has been under uh, Muslim control, okay? So then what happens? So for a brief period of time, in order to, to do the plan, he's got to give Israel back the control of the Temple Mount. Why? So they can build a third temple because... Satan knows what's already predicted, and what's the prediction? That once that third temple is built, Israel will be able to do their sacrifices for some period of time, 
and he's in covenant with them. He is their Messiah, right? And then he makes his move on the farthest sides of the north. What is his move to to sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north? What is the move? He goes into the temple according to the Apostle Paul, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, and does what? Desecrates the temple, but then does what? Proclaims himself as God. So Satan, through the Antichrist, tries to achieve number three at the midpoint of the tribulation through the Antichrist when he sets his Antichrist on the farthest sides of the north. That's when that happens. And that, at that point, is Satan's aspiration that goes back to ancient times. This is what he's been wanting to do all the time, is to do that. And he will sit there for three and a half years. And then it's destroyed by the Messiah when the Messiah comes back. Four, I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. The the clouds is not referring to the atmospheric clouds, but the special clouds that are associated with God, the Shekinah clouds that accompany God, that, that, uh, you know, God appears in a cloud so you don't see his full essence, or he appears as a flame uh, so you don't see his uh, full essence, but that is the glory flame, the glory light, the glory cloud. What is the sign of Messiah's return at the second coming? What did he say that the disciples, when they asked him, what will be the sign of your second coming, basically? What did he say? The sign is what? You will see the Son of Man on the clouds of glory. Not the atmospheric clouds, but you will see Messiah return with the glory cloud of Yahweh. That is the sign of the second coming. And they will see that when he approaches earth at the second coming. Not the rapture, the second coming. And so the clouds are associated with deity. Well, what what Satan wants is he wants the clouds. He wants the the glory clouds. It's a unique light that only God has. And even though the Elohims, the angels, have a luminescent feature of their own, that's why they're called stars, because they have a luminescent feature about them, God is the only one that has this particular kind of light. Okay? Application. Satan appears as what? An angel of light. Remember I said the Shekinah is associated with clouds? Fire, light, like it lit the way for Israel in the, in the wilderness at night and as a cloud by day pillar of fire by night, right? It's the light, and light and cloud, light and cloud. So when it says that Satan appears as an angel of light, what in effect is Paul trying to say? In association with with the clouds and the light of God, what what is he trying to say? He's going to deceive you how? He's go- yeah, he's going to counterfeit through deception the Shekinah light or the Shekinah clouds, but in essence, what that's referring to is when you see the Shekinah, when you see the clouds, 
It is God's revelation of himself. Okay? God is revealing himself in that manifestation to our human eyes. Okay? So keep following me. So when Messiah comes back at the second coming, he's manifesting himself um, as revelation. Okay? He is the revelation. He is the logos. He is the memra. He is the word of God. And the word of God represents God's revelation. What's the last book in the Bible called? Revelation means the revealing, the apocalypso, the revealing of the revelation of Jesus Christ. Okay? So now we have to understand how that applies to the counterfeit revelation. Satan will appear to you as if he's coming from God, as if he's a good angel, as if he's got good information or what we call good revelation to you. Okay? So he will reveal something that you think is good. And you'll think, this is good information. I can use this. And what you don't understand is that information is evil, that information is twisted, it's crooked, but it appears like it works, it appears to function right, it appears that it has uh, an air of spirituality to it, but it's highly satanic information or what we call revelation. Now, let's think through the applications of that. How would you know, how would you know if that type of revelation came to you because if it's going to look like the Shekinah, it's going to look like the, the revelation that comes from God. It's going to look spiritual. How do I know whether or not that's coming from God or it's coming from a demon? How would I know? Scriptures, right? Number one, does it match up with what the Scriptures are? You are to test the spirits to see if they are from God. Otherwise, if you don't test the spirits, you won't know whether it's an angel of light or it's God's revelation. You won't know the difference. If I test the spirit, yeah, go ahead. They do. They always see a tunnel and they think it's God. So if I had a near-death experience, because there's a great book on this, I, I recommend if you want to interested in near-death experiences, since you brought it up. Uh, J.P. Moreland has a fantastic book on near-death experiences. He did a lot of research on it. J.P. Moreland's an apologist out of Talbot. Uh, he did a, gr a lot of great work. Now, here's what we have to understand. Even in a near-death experience, experience, there are legitimate near-death experiences, and most of them are illegitimate. But if I had a near-death experience, if you read the book, he will show you what, were, what was legit and what is not. And what you'll see in near-death experiences, people have experiences, spiritual experiences, but it's counterfeit. Like, like some of these near-death experiences, they get there and like, is this heaven? Yeah, this is heaven. Well, where's Jesus? Well, we don't talk too much about him here. Oh. Oh. Right? That, would that be a clue right there? I'm in the wrong place. They don't talk too much about him here. That's a problem. But there's things like that. There's, there's little clues about what's happening. Because 
when people are near death, there's a kind of a crossover time where they're, they're entering into the spiritual realm and their soul is about to leave their body and there's, they're going back and forth. And you, sometimes you can see this happening when they're dying. They're actually going back and forth. And, um, and in that transition, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a weird transition. You're entering into the spiritual realm. And what, what Satan will do is counterfeit the experience uh, when someone's having that. Um, yeah, Richard. Well, you died, right? Yeah. You were in a car accident, right? So when you made, yeah, you, I remember you telling me you made the decision to, to, to stay for your family. They put you right back in your body. Yeah. And you were a believer at the time, right? Okay, so that, that, that entity that was probably a good angel, one of your guardian angels, uh, according to Scripture, and so, yeah, that's a legitimate experience. I'm, I'm you know, I'm not going to doubt that. And that happens quite frequently to people that they remember even on the operating table seeing their body as they're above their body, their soul has left their body, and they're looking down. And then when they, they, they come back, they can tell you, like, the whole operation. And they're like, how did you see that? You were out. No, 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 I saw they did this, and they did that, and they did that. And they have full memory of watching their body from above. So there is a weird transition period of time and like with, uh, like what Richard is describing. But what will happen is Satan will counterfeit even near-death experiences. It's the weirdest thing, man. Can you, you couldn't even believe it. Absolutely. Yeah. That's excellent, man. Both of your guys' stories. That's if you get that book, if you're interested in that book, um, it, it chronicles legitimate stories like these two guys have shared. Um, and then it shows you the, the, the difference between that and the counterfeit. So, you know what? I don't know the title of it. it I would just do a search, uh, J.P. Moreland on near-death experiences. He, um, J.P. is brilliant. And he's, he's done the most extensive research on... Uh, uh, near-death experiences, and JP's not some type of kook, you know, like, uh, you know, the Joy Boys down there in TBN or whatever. Um, he's, to- he's totally legit, apologetic, um, very good. JP Moreland, I uh, had him for one of apologetics class at, at, at uh, one time when I was doing my apologetic. He was phenomenal. I couldn't stay up with him. He's so brilliant. He's, the dude's lightning fast, IQ, man, but, but thank you for sharing that, both of you guys, because it turns your life around, right? And 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 that's that's when we see the legitimate near-death experiences. It turns their life around to Christ, and and they're on the path. You know, whether unsaved or saved, um, there was reasons why they didn't go, and 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 so um, it happens. I've been in hospital rooms, man, and some of the things people say when they're dying, it's, it's you can see, you can see the transition happening. It's weird. Uh, I'll share this with you, just interesting, um, it happened last week to me, um, and I'm not saying I saw the supernatural, but I did see God at work in someone's death. Um, I was called to a home because um, somebody's mom was passing away and had called hospice, and and you know, uh, it's close, and you know, the hospice nurses are saying, look, you need to get your family here, it's, it's time. So the family had gathered and everything, and they have been gathered for several days, I think, uh, from what I understand. But um, they said, hey, you know, I, I finally talked to them. And they used to come to our church a long time ago. They moved to Arizona or something like that. And so, but they were here because their mom was dying. 
And so they, hey, Brandon, come on over. Uh, we would just love for you to pray. Uh, I mean, they sent a Catholic priest over here, and that's no good. And, 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 uh, and the guy, you know, he did his rituals or whatever, and it's like, all right, uh, yeah, okay, we'll go. So came, went over there, and, um, you know, they have the hospice bed and everything, and you can tell it's close, obviously. But, you know, the funny thing, what they said is like, Brandon, we're all, we've all been gathered here, and mom won't let go. And we tell mom, it's okay, you can go, you can go. You know, a lot of people actually will hold on until all their family gets there. It's a weird thing. I've seen it many, many times. They're waiting for their, one of their sons coming in from Idaho or something. And once he comes there and they say goodbye, then the person releases themselves and they go on. Um, and so I've seen that many times. That's, that's common. So when they, I came there, they said, yeah, she won't let go. And she goes, We're, we've been all here. Everybody's here. We've said our goodbyes. Mom, we keep telling mom, you can go, you can go. I said, well, I don't know. That's kind of strange. I go, yeah, that doesn't sound right. I typically see people let go once their family's there. But anyway, I said, okay. So anyway, I go in there. And I say, she's responsive. And, I, and she says, no, no, she's out. And, and she's not, you know, she's not making contact with us and talking or anything. She's out. I know better. Okay? I've been to enough of these near-death things where people are on the transition of dying. They can hear you. They can. So if you ever get put in that situation, keep talking to them. They hear you. They may not be able to physically respond. They actually can respond spiritually. Now, here's how I think I think she responded spiritually. I don't leave anything to chance when someone's dying, so I share the gospel every time, and I would advise you to do that too. Even if you they say, oh, she's a believer, she loved Jesus, don't, don't take that. No, no, you make sure they hear the gospel on their deathbed, okay? Make sure they do it. So what I did, I read some scriptures, and then I went into sharing the gospel, and I told her how to get saved. And I said, look, I know you can't respond to me, but in the spirit of your, in, in your spirit, you can respond. You can say yes to Jesus. And do you want eternal life? Do you want him? Do you want to be saved? Now is the time to do this right now. And I said, just pray this prayer with me. And I just went through a prayer. And, and just like I would do to someone I'm talking to, right? And um, we prayed the prayer, and and, I, I, and then I prayed for her and her passing and, and things, prayed for the family, and then, um, and then I, I left at that point. It wasn't a minute later they called me and said, Brandon, she just passed. And I thought, and they were like ecstatic. And I said, is it possible she wasn't saved? And the Lord was keeping her on until someone could go share the gospel with her? Maybe. And I, I, that is the weirdest thing, because they called up and they said she just went home. But when you think about it, she was holding on. And I don't know if the Lord spoke to her or whatever, said, hold on, I'm going to give the gospel to you one last time. And, and, and maybe so, I don't know. I mean, but it was a very weird experience. But I've seen that more often than not, that even though the person is transitioning, God will still make a way to hear it. I see them sometimes rally right at the end. They become uh, all awake and alert and all of a sudden, and then, then you share the gospel, and then they go right back down. It's like God brings them up, 
to give them that chance, and then they go back down into the death, uh, the separation of, from the soul from the body. But I'm telling you, man, you know, that's how God works. So you see those things. God will, God will give all the grace until the very end. It's amazing to watch that. Anyway, um, just to bring things back, in the idea of false light versus real light, like I was saying, you have to then test the spirits to see if they're from God. What does that mean? I have to test the message according to the Bible, which implies that I need to know the Bible in order to test the message. And that would go, quite frankly, with obviously demonic creatures. But here's the deal. Most people don't have encounters with demonic creatures or fallen angels. Most people have encounters with human beings. Okay? But what people don't realize is that Satan gets a foothold in human beings and they don't even know they're being used by him to convey false light. And so most of the time, people go to false light because it's coming from a human being and it's coming from a human being they know or trust or have a relationship with. But that human being is being used as an instrument or tool to actually give the person false light. So what Satan has figured out, and you need to be aware of this, about false light, yes, it's probably not going to be an angel, a false angel appears in your room and starts giving you false doctrine. It's not going to be like that. It's going to be your brother. It's going to be your sister. It's going to be your mom. It's going to be your adult child that's going to then be used to give you false information and they won't even know they're being used. That's how slick he is. That he will use a relative of yours or a friend of yours to break you down. Now, why is that? Because if I have a conversation with Kamala Harris, do you think she's going to break me down? Or you're going to get broken down by you sitting and having tea with Kamala Harris. No, you're not going to believe a word she says, right? Because you already know she's the enemy. He's not going to use Kamala Harris against you, right? But who would he use? Someone you trust. Because if you have a relationship, then he knows that the barriers go down on the relationship because you know the person, and so your guard goes down. And once he's got your guard down, then he goes for it. Kamala Harris, your guard is up. Your own child, your guard is down. The biggest supporters of false doctrine are the people who have family members in cults, and they turn a blind eye to it because it's their family member. The biggest supporters of those in sin are their family members. Because the, 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 they won't raise up the barrier of truth and they keep it down at the relational level and therefore Satan influences them. And before you know it, their son or daughter is pu pushing them, mom, dad, you got to get the vaccine. You're going you're gonna to die. Don't listen to Pastor Brandon. He's crazy. And, and before, oh, yeah, yeah, that sounds about right. That sounds about right. That's what Satan will do to you. So what do you have to do? You have to keep returning back to the word, returning back to the truth, returning back to church, returning back to hearing the right voices. 
And that keeps you, okay, I'm not crazy. Right? Because they're going to say, you're crazy. And so you have to return back. And so, okay, how can I be crazy? I got 200 people sitting here that are not crazy. Ah, okay, 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 I'm all right. I'm all right. Okay? So my thing is, you got about him, him using your own to come at you. Okay, just, I'm not saying you have to be on guard against your relatives. Watch the breakdown. Don't give in. Okay? Any questions before we close up? We know he puts one image in the temple. We do know that. That is one major idol. It's the end idol of all idols, right? You know, of all the idolatry in, in the world, this is it. And it's right smack dab in the temple. What we don't know is whether or not there's copies of that particular idol. And that, that copy of that idol is sent around the world. Maybe it's an AI copy, but here's where the idea comes from, Dennis. In the ancient world, you had certain temples and you had that God in that temple. Let's say it was Zeus or Athena or Diane or whatever it was. Okay. So you went to that temple and there was the idol in, in all its splendor, right? You know, it's this big statue. But what happens if you didn't live in that city? Well, you would have to take a smaller idol with you to where you lived, right? So what would happen is all these like Corinth church people would have these small idols of Diane or whatever, or, or, or Zeus or whatever, at their home in a little cubby hole somewhere where they could worship the idol there. So the history of idolatry is there's one main idol and then there's smaller versions that people take with them wherever they live. If that's the case, and it's a repeat of that, that would be what I would expect. There's one main one in Jerusalem of the Antichrist, and then other versions of it are spread out all over the planet, but it has the ability to kill people. So those who don't worship that image, it has the ability to kill people. So I don't know that if that's through nanotechnology, whether that's everyone's linked at that point in time, they can just kill the off switch if you don't worship the, the beast. I don't know, but it does have the ability to kill which would suggest it's not mere wood or stone. It's got to be something way beyond wood and stone into an AI type of thing. Yeah, that was, I, I used that, that video to show you a precursor possibly of, you know, them marching this giant around the world, you know, for advertisement or whatever. But you could easily see them doing something like that with the image of the Antichrist and say, you all pay homage right now or you die. You can you can see it's it's setting the stage for it. So yeah, man. But I think AI plays a big part in it. And you know, like we've talked about, there's a lot of demonic activity behind AI. That stuff is really out there, man. Um, when you start digging into AI, it, it's 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 way demonic, way demonic. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I saw a commercial for Domino's Pizza, an AI vehicle delivering your pizza to you. I mean, it's, 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 yeah. Yep, 5G part of it. Mm -hmm. Artificial intelligence is AI. Artificial intelligence. Yeah. We'll touch on that when we get out of the origins of Satan, his fall. When we, we get into that more, when we get into uh, spiritual warfare uh, on a personal level, because those kinds of things are important to know. But we're going to get there. We're, we're, this is a whole year study, I hope you guys realize. So we, 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 got a, we got a long, long study in this. So we'll get there. Yeah, definitely get there. Anything else? Clear as mud. Yep. 
I, I th- yeah, my thing is, it's inescapable. That's my thing. It's inescapable. It's here, and what what, what we can do, you could kick against the goads on all of this, but the problem is you're, there's nowhere to run from it. So when they, they implement 5G or they let's say they implement a digital currency, there's nowhere to go. Once they do these kinds of things, they cross lines and we don't have any escape. Now, you can get off the grid. A lot of guys are saying, well, you just get off the grid. Okay, okay, but, you know. I know, and they're all for it. They think this is great. And so, but the thing is, once they levy, you know, the idea, we're going to get off the dollar and go to a digital currency, it's over. You won't escape it. It'll be worldwide. And, yeah, it's a precursor for what the Antichrist is going to use. But this is the question a lot of people say, where do I go from there? Is there higher ground? No, there is no higher ground. There's nowhere you're going to be run because it's a global thing. Just like the vaccines and the virus, it was a global thing. That's on purpose because... You say, well, I'm, I'm going to go to Australia. No. No. I'm going to go to New Zealand. No, you don't want to go there. W- where do you go? Where do you go? Ah, you stay planted where God has you. That's where you stay, okay? All right, we got to get running. Let's pray. Thanks for joining us for another episode of the Anchor Bible Study Podcast. We hope that this lesson is a blessing to you and helps grow you towards a more mature understanding of God's Word. Rock Harbor Church has another podcast called Anchor Sunday Sermons, and it's filled with past and present messages in Revelation, Genesis, and Exodus. If you enjoyed this message and would like to hear it, please check the description of this episode or search your favorite podcast streaming services for the Anchor Sunday Sermons. Support for both of our podcasts comes from your generous gifts and donations. For more information about our ministry, we invite you to check out our website, rockharborchurch.net. Until next time, remember, keep looking up, for our redemption draws near.